Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Well, today we are continuing our sermon series that we're calling Renewed Life After Disaster. It's a journey through the book of Ezra. And as I was thinking about today's message, I found myself going back and thinking about those rehab TV shows. You know what I'm talking about, the ones where they take the old property and they rehab it and they renew it. What are some of your favorites? I I know that we watch these. Come on. What was that? Farmhouse Fixer. Farmhouse Fixer. I don't even know that one. (laughs) Fantastic. Oh, come on. So we got Fixer Upper. We got Flipper Flop. I mean, maybe your favorite, the Vanilla Ice Project. Property Brothers, exactly. We could keep going and going and going. And there's something I really enjoy about these shows, and I think it's part of what, we, what draws us all in, because they're taking this thing, this property that's been neglected, that's been devastated, that's worn out. Perhaps it's a dump that's been overlooked and undervalued, underappreciated, and they're taking this disaster, they're investing in its potential, and they bring something beautiful out of it. They're investing in renewal. And all of it, if they do it right, is for a pretty profit, right? I mean, they're not in it just for fun. But even that question comes down, or it comes down to the core question that they have to ask every time. How much is it going to cost? How much do we need to invest to realize the potential of this property? And how much can they sell it or rent it for after the investment? You know, and if they do it right, we get to see crazy profits. And if they don't do it right, Well, we don't get to see that on television, even though it would really be fantastic to see them just totally bomb, wouldn't it? And did you know that Jesus is a fan of these shows as well? You didn't know that? We know that because if you look at Luke chapter 14, Jesus says this. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. Right? Jesus is getting at the same question that these investors are asking. I have to figure out how much is needed to invest in building this tower before you start to figure out, will it be worth it in the end? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about investing in renewal. It's a part of this series that we're walking through. Really, we're starting to look at life after this pandemic, life after disaster. We're starting to consider what's that life going to look like. And so last week we talked about the reality that how God uses the trials and the hardships and the disasters in our lives as opportunities to teach us, to discipline us, to grow us, because He has good purposes that He wants to bring into our lives. He wants to be at the center of our lives, perhaps in a way that he never has been before, and in trusting him alone, receive life that is renewed, life that is flourishing with hope and joy and peace and meaning and security and confidence, recognizing and trusting him as the source of all good things. See, that's what the renewed life that God is aiming at for us, that's what it looks like. 
And so today we're going to look at how can we invest in that renewal. And so we're going to jump into Ezra chapter 2. We're going to read starting in verse 64, and you can follow along on the screen if you'd like. Listen as God speaks into our lives together this morning. The whole company, that is the company of exiles that returned to Jerusalem and Judah, numbered 42,360, beside their 7,337 male and female slaves, and they also had 200 male and female singers. They had 736 horses. 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. When they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave free will offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. The priests, the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants settled in their own towns along with some of the other people, and the rest of the Israelites settled in their towns. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray as we move into God's word together. Father, will you add your blessing to the reading of your word? May it be proclaimed faithfully, and if any of the words that come from my mouth, any of the words that we interpret and internalize are not of you, may you cause them to fall away, become nothing, so that only your word remains to lead us to guide us, to shape us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So you may be wondering, because we skipped 63 verses of chapter 2, what was that about? And most of those verses is a list of names, people, and the places that people returned from exile to Babylon. So you can go back and read that, but that's essentially what that whole first part's about. And we're told right here where we started in summary that 50,000 people in all returned from exile to Judah and Jerusalem. Some of these were the priests and Levites and singers and temple servants and all sorts of people that returned. And in verse 68, We're told as they arrive back in town, they actually arrive at the house of the Lord. Now, let's pause on that phrase and try to picture it for a moment. Here, this group of people have traveled four months from Babylon back into Jerusalem. They get back in town. We're told that they arrive at the house of the Lord, but what do they find when they get there? And last week, we talked about how the Babylonian Empire had invaded Judah and Jerusalem and had taken people captive, but that wasn't enough. They had also completely destroyed the temple, turned it to rubble. Every stone of that great structure torn down, even the foundation itself had been decimated. In the and so they arrive, it says, at the house of the Lord, but really they arrive on the mountain where God had promised to set up his residence on earth, but there was no building to be found. Try to imagine what they could have felt like. I mean, they were probably excited after this long journey to be getting back home, to be getting back to the place of hope, the place of promise, the place where they thought life would be renewed. So they arrive in town excited to find what's going to happen next. And what do they find? Nothing. Scorched earth. And I think this happens in our lives. As we think about the times where we move out of disasters and trials, where we get to what you might call a false summit. If you, if you go hiking 
Growing up in Colorado, I did lots of hiking in the mountains, and there's something known as a false summit where you're climbing up and you're doing the hiking and you're looking up to the top of the mountain that you're climbing and you see what looks like it's going to be the top. And inevitably, you get excited and you're like, man, because it often opens up and there's this glorious view from the top. And so you start pressing a little harder and you're excited. And what happens when you get up over that crest, what you discover is it wasn't the summit. The mountain continues to go off further, higher, away from you. You just couldn't see it from the angle down below. And so you get to that point and you are excited and then suddenly... Sometimes you feel a little defeated, exhausted, frustrated. That's a false summit. I think these people may have felt like they had arrived at a false summit. And we feel like that too, where we feel like we're getting to that place where life will be renewed, where we might feel and experience joy again. And can you imagine the experience, rather than triumphant joy, more desolation? And so, I mean, I could totally understand if what happened next was weeping and complaining and grumbling and grieving, crying out in frustration and disappointment, and yet, instead, we see this amazing and beautiful thing that happens next. Rather than whining and complaining, focusing on what they don't have because life isn't happening the way they want it, when they want it, instead, we're told that some of the heads of the families gave freewill offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. We talk about the opposite of complaining. Rather than complaining, they're contributing. Free will offerings. And that is exactly what it sounds like. There was nobody telling them, okay, you give this much and you give that much and you give that much. It wasn't like an assessment was done against the whole population and everybody had to contribute. It wasn't a command. It was the people saying, all right, we are here. We are committed. We long to see this temple rebuilt. We long to see life renewed. And so they give. They invest in renewal. And and they don't just invest. They invest hugely, which might be a little hard for us to tell from the text because, you know, I don't know about you, but I haven't done much trading in Derek's and Minas lately. Maybe you have. I don't know what that exact exchange rate is. But what we see is this is an equivalent of 1,100 pounds of gold. I mean, imagine that. I mean, 24 karat gold was trading yesterday at $1,777 per ounce. And so, I know this probably wasn't pure 24 karat gold, but just go with me. I mean, this is the equivalent of $31 million worth of gold that are contributed in free will offerings to the rebuilding of the temple on this site. I mean, Okay, maybe it wasn't pure 24 karat, so maybe it was only worth 10 million, only. I mean, whatever it is, it was clear that they were all in on this investment in the renewal that God was promising them. He had sent them back out of exile, back to rebuild his temple, and so they're living in obedience, walking and investing by faith that God was going to, in fact, keep the promises to renew life that he was giving them. And do you see there was this great phrase connected with that? According to their ability, they gave. I love that phrase, but it's also not just a phrase, it's a concept, an idea that pulls its way all the way through the Scripture, that the people give according to or in proportion to what has been given to them, what's been entrusted to them. And it's why Scripture often speaks in terms of percentages, not in terms of raw numbers as the expectation for giving. You you may have heard of a tithe, If you haven't, the tithe was a 10% gift 
that came right off of the top of all of the earnings or all of the crops that were grown. It was before taxes. It was before shelter. It was before food. It was before clothing. It was off the top. It was the expectation that it would be given as a gift, and every person would give it. And the beauty I love about it is that it meets everyone exactly where they are in their unique circumstances. No matter what they're worth, no matter what they make. You know, and so you know, it's not hard for us to look at the world and realize that there is a disproportionate distribution of money, right? No? There's, we can agree on that? Yeah? And God's requirement and His command into that reality was actually not to redistribute it by force, but instead to invite all, whether they make a lot or a little, to each give according to what their ability, uh, to initially give 10% of what they've earned. But the tithe was only the beginning. It was the starting place. It was the baseline. And then everyone was invited after that to give according to their ability, voluntarily, free will offerings. And these would be given then to invest. And when they, it, when they brought this together, they were investing in what God was doing. And together, they invested this huge sum of money in the building of the temple. But it wasn't just about the temple, it was about renewal of all of life because the temple was only the beginning. Yes, it was the center of life, but out of it, out of their relationship with God at the center, everything else was going to flow. Their priorities would be organized around what God wanted to do for them, in them, through them, in the world. It was all about renewal. And as we start thinking about what does this mean for us, I mean, certainly we've got to ask ourselves, so why... Why would we bother to invest in renewal? What does it even look like? I mean, because we're blessed that we don't have to rebuild a temple that's been decimated. We're able to sit here and worship inside. And so why do we even bother? Is there a need for us today to invest in renewal? I think absolutely the answer is unequivocally yes. Because Jesus thought it was necessary. You know, you go back and remember I told you he likes rehab shows? And so, in the context of what I shared with you earlier, as he's talking about calculating the cost of building this tower, in its context, he was actually inviting them to count the cost of following him. Jesus was comparing it to building a tower. And he was saying, yes, following me. When you follow me, yes, there is renewed life. There is life that is full, that is whole, that is beautiful, that is rich, that is passionate, where your longings are fulfilled, where your needs are met, and where you are released to, to experience and see the glory of God. It's in me. But here's the thing. Count the cost. How much will it cost? And he says in verse 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, Everything you have cannot be my disciples. What's the cost for renewal? What's the investment cost? Everything. You might be going, what does this mean? You mean that I have to, have to give all of the money that I have and put it in the offering box? No. Okay, then do, do I need to quit my job? Do I need to become a pastor? Do I need to become a missionary? No. Because here's the thing, actually, you already are a missionary. That's part of your calling as a follower of Jesus. You are a missionary to represent him in every place, in every relationship, at your current job, in retirement, at school. So you already are that. So what else do you need to do? 
No, he's getting it. It has to do with who sits on the throne of your life. It has to do with who is leading you, who's calling the shots. And he's saying, are you willing to no longer be the one leading your life, no longer be the one deciding what's good for you, no longer to be the one determining unilaterally how you spend your money, how you spend your time, who you, in, who you interact with? Are you willing? See, because he was inviting these people to be his disciples because that's where renewal happens. A disciple literally means learner. And these learners would be those people who would follow Jesus intimately in every way. They shared life with him so that they could learn from him. And Jesus is saying, come on, follow me. I want to give you life that is renewed. And it's going to happen if you follow me. But here's the thing. We have a tendency not to follow him, don't we? And when we don't follow him, he's basically telling us, you keep getting lost along the way. You keep trying to get to the life that's renewed, and yet you keep getting lost. You don't know how to get there. And we see it when we think about our lives, because we think about our lives as this journey along the way, and we're trying to figure out how do we live the full good life? How do we live the life of most meaning, of most passion, of most whatever it is? And so throughout our lives, there's all sorts of ideas that we have about what's going to make life worth living, you know? And often it's about our job. It's about if I can just get to this place of prominence, of success, of power, then, man, then it'll be, it'll be made. And a lot of time that's because, yeah, we're going to get the recognition that we're hoping for, but it's also we're going to get the money that we long for. And if we just have this amount of money, then, man, we're going to finally have security. We're going to finally be able to have a house here and a house there. We're going to be able to have the lifestyle that we've longed for. And sometimes we get to have some of those things, and we get them, and when you arrive there, what happens? There's always something more. The lifestyle seems to always expand of what is going to make life finally good and worth living. And so maybe you turn away from those, you know, oh, those petty material things, and we start thinking, okay, it's about relationship. And so if I just have this relationship with this person, you know, it's good when you finally get there. It's beautiful. But man, maybe there's more. And so we start going, okay, maybe, maybe we have kids, and the kids come along, and it's great some of the time. And we start going, man, but there's got to be something more. And we keep going, and as long as we keep trying to, to figure out what that thing is that's going to make life meaningful, we're never going to actually get the renewed life that Jesus wants to give us because we keep getting lost along the way because we're the ones deciding where to go. Can you imagine telling a guide leading you through the Amazon, no, 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 I got this. You, just follow me. It's silly. And yet we do it every day in our lives when we aren't following Jesus. And Jesus is saying, come on. Follow me because I'm going to take you to where life renewed is really going to be found. I want to give it to you. What does it cost? Everything. Everything. Jesus can lead us. And, and what does it look like when we start thinking about, okay, I want to invest in renewal. I want to invest in this life that Jesus wants to give. And we've got we've to come back to what this passage and what so much of the scripture talks about. We've got to come back to money. And, and I, I promise you, I don't really want to talk about money. It's not a whole lot of fun. This is often the kind of passage a preacher comes to and is like, let's just skip this one, huh? And I know that lots of folks don't want to hear about money. And you know, Jesus knew that. 
And unfortunately, the church has a whole lot of bad history as we talk about money. Because frequently, the church has talked about money in a way of of arm twisting and guilt messages to force you to give more and makes everything about money, and that's not at all the case. It's not all about money. Jesus is saying, actually, he's very clear. He says, where your treasure is, your heart is also. And so for Jesus, he cares way too much about your heart to not talk about money. And if he cares so much about that because our, heart, our, our money reveals where our heart is, then we've got to consider it important if we're going to try to seek out the life, the renewed life that he wants to give us. And so we start looking at, we have to look at what is our relationship with money? What is how we use our money reveal about where our heart is? Are, are we looking to it for the source of security? Are we looking to it for the source of a standard of living? Are we looking to it as if it promises to give us a good life? Because Jesus is saying, man, that's not where your security lies. That's not where the good life is. I want you to invest that where real life is. And so put it where Jesus tells you. Follow him. Don't give it to this church if that's where Jesus is leading you. Some of the elders are like, "Er, what? No. If that's what it takes for your heart to become free from its attachment to money, then Jesus cares more about you giving it to become detached from your love of money, from your need for it, for security. But go ahead and give it to this church. The Lord knows we we need it. That it's not easy right now. That we continue to live, you know, really on the edge together as a people financially. So give it. Invest it in what God wants to do in this church, through this church. Give it as a part of your regular offerings. Give it as a part of the Freedom Campaign. If you're not familiar with the Freedom Campaign, it's a a campaign to get rid of the mortgage that we've been carrying for 15 years that's choking out the life and the calling that God wants us to live into to be able to minister more fully. So give it to the Freedom Campaign so that we can seek renewal within, but we can also seek renewal for our community. Give it to a neighbor of yours, even though it won't have a tax write-off. Give it because they need it. Because that's where God wants you to invest in renewal, their renewal, but also in your own. As we become renewed, detached from perhaps the love or the fear of money. But you can invest beyond money. You can invest your time. You invest, when you think about it, look at, look at what your time reveals about your priorities as well. Look about how your calendar shows what's most important to you. And, and Jesus is saying, man, you can invest your time and, and you can do it in a way that is investing in renewal. Maybe it's to invest your time to become a part of a small group. Try it out for six weeks and see what happens. And you might be going, yeah, but if I get involved in that, I might be with people that I don't really know. And you know, if they get to know me, then they might not really like everything that they see because it's not always very attractive. And if that's the case, welcome to the club. You know, that's all of us. And you might find in that kind of safe context and relationship, life can be renewed. Maybe it's to invest your time in serving in a way you've never served before, inside the church or outside the church. Remember, you're a missionary. That's your identity. It's part of your calling as a follower of Jesus. So what would it look like to invest in that missionary life? Perhaps we're trying to get church school started. We're trying to be able to invest in our children again. 
in a way that they can come to know Jesus, where they can find life in him. And we're trying to figure out how to do it in this crazy time that we're still living in. And so maybe you could be a part of the solution. You could serve in church school, even if that means being here for two services on a weekend. Maybe it's you've been ignoring for a whole long time that you actually like middle schoolers. I know, weird thought for some, what? No, that happens. No, it's, it's real. And maybe, maybe you are going to invest your time and your life in middle schoolers to help them come to know that the good life is not in all of the messages that the world is giving them, in finding some sort of identity out there. It's to find an identity in Christ that can ground them and can carry them through the chaos that they face every day. Invest in their renewal. And see, as you invest yourself, your money, your time, your gifts, your abilities, as you invest yourself in renewal, man, you get to experience something profound. It is so amazing to be used by God in that way. And you experience what Jesus, we're told in Acts, says that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Man, and we get to live that. And maybe it's to invest your influence. Maybe it's to leverage the influence in the relationships that you have in your life and to invite some people who don't know Jesus to come to church. Maybe it's to invite them to read scripture with you or it's just to invite them, how can you pray for them? Maybe it is to invite them over to your house for a meal to share, share stories around a table so that you have the opportunity to share what Jesus has done in your life. Maybe it's to invest your prayers in renewal. What are you praying for these days? What are you praying about? Tim Keller's a pastor, and I know I've shared some of his thoughts with you before. I consider him kind of a mentor, an author mentor. I've never met him in my life. But he's studied renewal. And this is one of the things he says about renewal. He says, to kindle every revival or renewal, the Holy Spirit initially uses what Jonathan Edwards called extraordinary prayer. Extraordinary prayer. Not just our everyday prayers. Everyday prayers are great. Keep praying. I know you're praying people, even though we don't always like to pray out loud very much, but I know you are praying people. Keep praying. But what he's saying is to find renewal in our lives, in our community of faith, in our neighborhood beyond, it happens and begins in extraordinary prayer that has three characteristics. The first is a request for grace to confess sins and to humble ourselves funny when we start thinking about renewal it's not just about out we're outside circumstances you know stuff that's happening out there the beginning of renewal is asking God to pour out his grace so that we can confess our sins his grace to give us the boldness the courage to be willing and humble ourselves before him to recognize where we have fallen short where we are a disaster and we need his renewal The next is a compassion and zeal for the flourishing of the church. You know, this desire to see not just the numbers in the church swell, but to see a depth, a richness of life where the fruit of the Spirit is expanding, where our understanding, our knowledge, our relationships with Jesus are going deeper and deeper. And yes, that is then propelling us outward into the community so that he also is saying it's not just a flourishing of the church, but to the reaching, a compassion and zeal for the reaching of the lost. Who are you praying for that doesn't know Jesus right now? Anybody? Man, let's pray for those who don't know Jesus. 
Let's pour out our hearts asking that God would remove the obstacles and the barriers so that they can come to know him, know his love for them, know what he's done for them through his son, Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, as you pray for them and as your heart aches over them, you actually participate in the very suffering of Christ who as he entered Jerusalem, he wept over the people saying, oh, oh, that I could give you peace. I long to give you peace. And yet he knew that they were going to turn on him. He knew that they were going to keep looking for a life renewed for peace everywhere else except for in him. And as we pray, pour out our hearts for those who are apart from Jesus, we actually participate in the suffering of Jesus. We know him more deeply because we know his heart and his angst. And so who do you know that you can pray for that doesn't know Jesus? Lastly, this extraordinary prayer is characterized by a yearning to know God, to see his face, to glimpse his glory. I mean, because it's not about us, it's not about the church, it's not even about us individually, it's about God, it's about knowing him more deeply and about beholding his beauty, his glory, his majesty, and seeing him honored by more and more of the creation that he made. It's all about him. And this is extraordinary prayer, and this is another way that we can invest in renewal. We can invest through our money. We can invest with our time. We can invest with our gifts and our abilities. We can invest with our influence and relationships. We can invest through prayer. And when we think about money, I got to come back because that's where this passage lands us. This might be the opportune time for you to invest in renewal. Did you know that right now there is a record amount of savings in America? I know that may seem kind of weird because we're in a pandemic and it's a crisis and some people are struggling financially beyond what I can even fully comprehend. And, and yet, between April 2020 and March 2021, Americans saved $1.8 trillion. $1.8 trillion went into savings over those 11 months. And on one hand, maybe it's because we've learned from the pandemic. Maybe we received the discipline and the teaching of God. Maybe one of the things he wanted to reveal to us is that our lifestyle in America is totally whacked. That I I know pre-pandemic, I don't think there's current numbers, but that pre-pandemic, 69% of Americans had less than $1,000 in savings. That's a whole lot of people. Seven out of every 10 had less than $1,000 in savings. And so when an emergency came, the credit card came out and that went even higher. Maybe we've actually learned something in this season of discipline, this recognition that, man, I actually need to be prepared. I need to plan. I need to be a steward of the resources that I have so that it's not a total crisis when an emergency happens. So maybe we've learned. But it's also interesting when we start digging into this reality of record savings, it's certainly disproportionate. It's disproportionate based on wealth that it's been easier for those who are higher earners to slash expenses as well as to save more. And so you may not be in that camp. You may not be among the record savers right now. And if that's the case and you're living in a crisis, let's talk. Because part of this being the body together is to try to care for one another in the midst of those challenging seasons. But maybe you are a part of those record savers. And maybe, perhaps this is a time where you are poised now more than ever to invest in God's plan of renewal. Maybe it came because of a stimulus check, because of a tax refund, because God was good and faithful and your business didn't collapse. You got to keep your job all the way through. Maybe you even got a raise. Whatever it is, God's blessing in your life. We give according to our ability based on what he has given to us. And yet, why don't we invest? I think 
part of it, it has to do with risk. Well, you, you've seen all of the commercials for every like investment house ever, right, that has like all of the disclaimers. You know, that investing involves risk. Loss of principle is a possibility. Past performance doesn't, e- you know, doesn't equate to future results. All of the disclaimers that have to go with investment because there is risk involved and we know it and we start thinking about investing the money that we have and we realize there's risk. If I invest, if I follow you, Jesus, and you ask me to give sacrificially, you ask me to give more than I'm comfortable, then maybe there won't be enough for me. Maybe there won't be enough to meet the needs in in our life. Maybe there won't be enough to have the lifestyle that I've determined is valuable to make life good. There's risk. When we think about investing in in using our influence, investing our time in relationships, we start to go, man, but but what if I'm rejected? What if if I I start to share Jesus and, and, and they turn on me? And that may be, in fact, true, and in that, re- in that moment, as you are rejected, you, again, are participating in the very suffering of Jesus because they're not actually rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. But I don't want to be stupid because I don't have all the answers. Well, none of us do. And, so, and yet, we're invited to take the risk to invest our lives in a way that can invest in renewal. And see, Jesus invested in renewal. But he invested not at a risk of loss, but at a guarantee of loss. The loss of his very life on a cross at great personal cost, and yet he had done the cost-benefit analysis. And it was worth it to him to lay down his life. Because he saw our lives broken down, worn out, devastated, sin-riddled disasters. And yet he saw the potential And so he invested at great cost to himself his life so that we could be renewed, so that we could have forgiveness, so that we could have his righteousness, we could have his joy, we could have his peace, his passion, his his very life within us so that you would have more than enough to invest in renewal. How will you invest? How will you risk investing for the sake of renewal? Let's pray. Lord God, will you lead us? Jesus, we want the life that you have promised us, and yet we acknowledge our fear of risk. And so we ask that you would help give us that courage, prompt us and move us, lead us and guide us so that we no longer are the ones forging the way ahead, but that we're following you into the life that is full. Show us how to invest. Lord, may we hear clearly how to invest our money that that you have entrusted to us how to invest our time, how to invest in relationships and and leverage those, how to invest our prayer life. May you lead us every step of the way that we can invest in life renewed. In Jesus' name, amen.